Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. I think you just have to search for the respectful, sensitive language that still communicates what you believe while at the same time being open to hearing what others believe. Power is made perfect in weakness. If you want to be the greatest, learn to be the servant of everyone. Today's guest is Joe Hishma. Joe is the lead pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka, Kansas. He told me his purpose is to make God greater on earth as he is in heaven. Joe was born in Wisconsin, and he was raised by a carpet-selling family with ancestral roots back to Israel. And he wanted to spend his early 20s truly investigating if Christianity was true. As an inquisitive learner and a natural leader, Joe eventually made his way to seminary school in Dallas, Texas, and that's where he met his wife, Cheryl. After moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee shortly afterwards, Joe was looking to pastor a church with the intent of being a part of a major spiritual awakening in an American city. I think that's so cool. It came into a small church of 100 people that has now grown to over 2,600 each weekend. But as Joe says, the church has grown smaller as it has grown larger. Fellowship Bible Church claims no denomination, and instead they focus on shouting the shouts of scripture. They work together at a very intimate level to grow in each other's faith, and I think they have a really strong community there. Joe is the father of three children. He's traveled the world extensively in his studies of religion. And I'm excited to have you listen to Joe and I as we talk about his personal journey into Christianity, his role as a pastor, how he rationalizes faith and logic, routines and habits that he uses to feel closer to God, highlights along his journey of purpose, challenging topics like abortion, suffering, lack of a denomination, being a minority of faith and mesh with other, others, what the return of Christ will be like, what heaven is like, and many other things. So I went to fellowship since I was in my early teens, and I think Joe's message has always resonated with me. He is one of the primary people that have brought me into the faith of Christianity. And coming back um, after going to Minnesota and living in Thailand, he just has built up such an amazing community that has such a strong energy. People are dedicated to the causes there. And I think he really is part of that spiritual awakening he's talking about. I love Joe's candid humor, his approachable personality, his deep wisdom, and also the knowledge that he has that's rooted in intelligence and rationality, every bit as much so as spirituality and, and coming from the heart. So Joe and I caught up in his office this December 2017 in my first extended stay in Topeka since early college summers. And... Well, I know a lot of you that may be listening aren't necessarily of a Christian faith or a religious faith or maybe even lacking spirituality in general. I hope that you can set aside any assumptions you may have about Christianity and appreciate Joe's unique perspective. He is on per- People of Purpose this week because he is fully a servant to greater purpose and as a seasoned leader for others coming into their own purposes. So I hope that you enjoy this enlightening and important conversation with Joe Hishma. 
and please stay for a short message I have about an upcoming change and an opportunity to, to contribute to People of Purpose. Thank you very much. Enjoy this conversation with Joe Hishma. I'm Joe Hishma. Hey, Joe. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. Cool. I'm happy to be in your office. It looks fantastic. <laughs> so cozy. Yes. Yes. The church has grown significantly since I went here seven, eight years ago. It, it has. You came here seven or eight years ago. We just probably moved into this building. Yes. We had about 500 people on a weekend. Yeah. Which in, in the U.S., that's a larger church. Right. Uh, but since then, I mean, we've just continued to grow around 2,600 on a weekend right now. Wow, that's so, cool. Yeah. It's a lot of people. It is, but everyone matters. Everyone matters. That's been one of the big things about us as a church that we've wanted to do. We wanted to grow smaller as we grew larger, just so people wouldn't get lost. But there's two facets of that. There's that angle of people growing personally in the context of community, with caring relationships, life-giving friendships that they can have, but at the same time being a part of a movement that with the size of Topeka here, you can really make a difference when everyone is headed in the same direction and everyone is looking for the same thing right. in their city. I think it can really make a, a huge difference. Yeah. So, Where did your vision for this develop? When did you start to realize I, I'm going to potentially be running a church of 2,600? Yeah. I don't know that I ever set out to plan to be a part of a church this, this large. But I, I moved to Topeka back in 2002 with my, my three boys, my wife, and the church at that time was 100 people. And I moved from a more established Presbyterian church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then I moved here. That was a larger church there. But I moved here just to be a part of, um, I really wanted to be a part of a major spiritual awakening in an American city. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I, I came to Topeka. I'd never been here before in my life. And I met with some of the leaders of Fellowship Bible Church here, and they all wanted to be a part of that. And we didn't know what God would do. So we just kind of um, got together and thought, what's a healthy church look like? And when we kind of defined that, what a, what a healthy, healthy church. And then we practiced healthy practices yeah. in leading a church. It's amazing how many people came. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you came from Tennessee, and could you just, I guess, catch me up to speed? What you went to uh, high school and childhood in Wisconsin? Yeah, I did. I grew up in Wisconsin, and I'll give you the background a little bit because that's kind of the picture of legacy in my family. But when my my grandfather moved here uh, through Ellis Island from a town in um, present day Israel which was then Palestine, and it was uh, Ramallah. And you'll, you'll see Ramallah in the news all the time. They're the head of, you know, Hamas is there and the Hezbollah. Yeah. That's where the uh, Muslim leaders are. And so, but when he, my grandfather lived there, there were probably only 6,000 people. Now there's 600,000 people in that same city. And, but when he was there, 6,000 um, Arabs who lived in that area. And he was a Christian Arab which is more in line with like the Greek Orthodox church. And uh, when he moved to Wisconsin, um, he was in the Greek Orthodox church with my grandmother. 
And when my dad was 10 years old, his father died. Um, he had liver cancer. Hmm. And one Saturday afternoon, um, a lady named Edith Tapper knocked on the back door of my grandma's house after my grandfather died. And she said, Marie, I heard your husband died. I'm your neighbor down the road. And here's dinner. She brought him dinner. And she said to my, uh, she said to my, my grandmother, hey, I, I go to this church down the road. And I don't know if you're connected to a church, but I'd love to have you join me. Um, I'd love to take your children. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'd love to take your children. And so um, my grandmother said, uh, I'm not going to go, but you can take my kids. Just don't baptize them. <laughs> and so she took those my, the kids there. And that's where my dad heard about a God who loved him and sent his son, Jesus, to come and live for him and die for him and rise again from the dead for him. And he put his faith in Christ at a young age then. He was probably 12 years old at that time. And it was that church that really gathered around my dad and like fathers in that church asked my dad to join their sons on camping trips and all that kind of stuff. And my dad grew up in that church. He met my mom in that church. And I actually, um, you know, that's the church I knew growing up. Yeah. It was a, a church in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So and, when did you know that you wanted to go from there to becoming a pastor? Well, great question, because my dad had a company and we had a family business. And when you have a family business, the whole family is in it. Mm -hmm. And so he went through kind of a rough time. And my brother and I started our own company and it was a carpet company. To compete with his? It wasn't necessarily compete. My dad just hit rough times. Yeah. And he said, look, guys, you can do what you guys want to do. And so I started this company with my brother and it just took off. And I, at that time, I was really kind of wondering, at least about my own personal faith, was this going to be my faith or was it the faith of my parents that I just happened to be along for the ride on? And so I had to think through that. And you know, a lot of my friends, this happens a lot in the American church, is kids get to around 16 years old because they don't own their faith. They, they check out of church mm -hmm. and they just kind of go. They don't, they don't really pursue faith. And so everything from faith is where they checked out. So I talk to people all the time who are in their thirties and their forties, and they still talk of Jesus like a 16 year old because that's where they stopped growing. Yeah. And so I decided before I chucked my faith, I would examine my faith and I would look at the historical Jesus and I would search the scriptures and I know you could say the Bible's biased, but I at least wanted to know what's the shout of scripture um, about the person of Jesus. And in the same time, I looked at the angle of reason and faith. Can faith and reason um, coexist? Or did you have to check your brains at the door to believe in God and in his son, Jesus Christ? Right, yeah. And so, boy, a lot of books helped me navigate that. But ultimately what I came down to was kind of more of no personal awakening, that it wasn't the faith of my parents that it was going to be, it was going to be my faith. And I was thankful my parents introduced me to that faith. But after looking at all the, all the evidence for the integrity of the scriptures, um, the reality of the person and the work of Jesus, I mean, every historian who's done their work would say, yes, he did exist. 
But then the next question was, you know, did he truly rise from the dead? That's a supernatural event. Mm -hmm. And so I had to examine a bunch of those, those issues. And it did come down to a point where, yes, I had to be a person of faith into something I couldn't fully prove, but I didn't have to check my brains at the door. It was more logical to me. What was the aspect that you had to exercise a, a greater degree of faith on? Yeah, I had to exercise a greater degree on of faith in that God exists. And if he exists, how has he revealed himself? Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to believe God exists, uh, how do I come to that point? And you look at creation, you look at, again, someone could look at the universe and all that there is and not say creation, because that would imply a creator. <laughs> but, but I just look at everything and go, my goodness, there seems to be a fingerprint of order here, yeah. not chaos, not randomness, but order. There seems to be a desire within the human heart for purpose, not a meaningless ex existence without significance without dignity. It seems like when, when humanity strips away purpose and dignity and doesn't treat people with significance or value, that we tend to move towards the worst of us, right? not the best of us. So what is that within us that just responds so much to purpose? And, and so I had to realize, man, there had to be something greater than just a meaningless existence, which those who deny the reality of God or who question the reality of God and, and really wonder there's really no point apart from personal friendships. Right. So there seemed to be an overarching call to humanity where everyone had value, not just a few people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I also started to learn more about love and what it looks like to love. Um, and with, with that, I started loving people who didn't believe like me and didn't act like me or talk like me and weren't like me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, who gave me the capacity to do that? And I had to look at it as it had to be more of the love of God in my life because that's how God loves me. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes any sense. That makes some sense, a lot of sense to me. I, yeah. I, I think those are similar things that drew me into being a Christian, having it be my own faith, yes. rather than just what my, my mom tried to instill in me from a really young age. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make about that, that beyond 16, you needing to take ownership of it. Yes. So you took a great amount of ownership over it, right? You went yeah. to seminary school? Yeah, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and it was a four-year four year master. I don't know of any other master degree that's four years long. Right. But they teach you uh, Hebrew and Greek, because Hebrew is what the Old Testament scriptures were written in, and Greek is what the New Testament scriptures were written in. And they give you the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament in Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. And you're learning the languages to translate the scriptures so you can understand what they mean. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. seminary gave me the tools to study the Bible the rest of my life, not everything there is to know about the Bible or everything there is to know about God. Right. But okay. to make your, to equip yourself to, to be a lifelong learner. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it didn't even necessarily prepare me for ministry because people skills really help you with, with ministry, but it gave me the tools to understand and apply the scriptures and preach the scriptures for the rest of my life. Yeah. So you, yeah. you talked a lot about how we have this deep compulsion towards purpose. Yes. What, how would you define your purpose? Okay. Great question.
Um, I grew up in a fairly wealthy family. And so I always thought my purpose was to make money and to live well, and then to give to what God's work was. Mm -hmm. So I really had a vision when I was in my early 20s. I wanted to start my own company. I wanted to build it and I wanted to sell it by the time I was 40. And then I could give God my heart to do whatever he wants with it. But what I failed to catch there is that I'm far, I'm worth far more than money and people are, don't have a value. They're priceless. And I was fairly materialistic in that realm. So I was kind of living my life and then having a segment that God could be a part of. Right. Okay. And that's not allowing God to lead you. That's not a follower of God. That's a leader of your own life that you tack on God to give you a sense of comfort. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I had to do is God had to be my purpose. And what I started realizing, um, and, and I realized it through a lot of things being taken away from me because my dad went through bankruptcy around that time. And I, at that time, I realized a family with wealth to a, going to a family in bankruptcy. I started realizing all the things money could buy and all the things money cannot buy. Money cannot buy peace. Money cannot buy true friends. Mm -hmm. Money can buy friends, but the friends usually want something from you. So without that, your true friendships, when you have nothing to give <laughs> or nothing to make their lives better, except the you're just sharing yourself with them. Mm -hmm. I think that's given me a lot of purpose. And then that, that really got used that to move me to invest in three things that, that last forever and three things that are priceless, God, his word and people. You say that every yeah, Sunday. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> I try to because I'm, I'm convinced. And again, I'm personally convinced that God exists. His word is is living and active in our lives. And, and by reading it and following it, we can really understand our purpose and join God's purpose for us. And then people. People are just priceless and uh, have significant value and dignity. And I want to give people worth. I want to love people well and deeply, and I want to I want to share them, share with them the God who I follow. And if they if they follow that God, that's awesome. But if they don't, I'm still going to love them. It's not a you need to believe or else I'm walking away. It's just I want to share what God has given me with them. Yeah. Would you say that you have a unique purpose that's different than other pastors or priests or? That's a great question. I, I think I think if if my purpose is ultimately to make God greater on earth as he is in heaven, then I think a lot of people a lot of people share that purpose and you don't have to be a pastor for that mm -hmm. or a priest for that. Yeah. Um, but if like I believe that I have a unique purpose in Topeka, I have asked God to be a part of a major spiritual awakening yeah, in, in Topeka. And so I believe that's why I'm here. And I'm starting to see major movement towards an awakening, a spiritual awakening in this place. So that's what I like to think in all the stuff that we're doing as a church and all the connections we're doing with other churches and all the 
the angles of seeing a larger movement of people mm. in an environment. That's where I'd like to like to think that God could really use me here. Yeah, I want to ask more about those impacts a little bit later. Sure. Um, but I, I think a, a curiosity I always have is, how do you know when something, when God is guiding you somewhere or if yourself is guiding yourself somewhere? Because we do have a sense of, it seems to me that we have a sense of free will yes. to make these choices for how to be used by God. And yeah. um, how, how did you know that, that you needed to be part of a spiritual awakening and move to a place like Topeka where you had no roots, n- nothing previous? How do you, yeah. how do you take that leap of faith to know that that is coming from God and not not something yourself or people around you are telling Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a really great question. And I don't know that there is this, um, this answer that would go, if you do these four steps, that's definitely God leading you. But I could tell you, I think there are some values of God's word of how he moves. And one is God doesn't need large groups of people to move. So, Topeka was our smallest option out of all the churches I was interviewing at. It had a hundred people. And I interviewed at other churches that were a thousand or 1500, but they seem to all have the same issues in the culture of the church. One is they, they had traditions that they didn't want anyone to mess with, but those traditions were keeping them from reaching more people. Mm. Um, they had a staff structure that was more bureaucratic and corporate, okay? High pecking order. And I just don't see, I mean, one, one of the things that Jesus said over and over in leadership is if you wanna be the greatest, learn to be the servant of everyone. So that's a value that you know that God leads when you humble yourself. So if you go to a place that's really prideful and arrogant, you're pretty sure God's not leading that place. And I even know that in my own life, when I'm leading more out of insecurity and fear, more than I am by faith and by humility, I really can sense God using me more because I'm a pretty driven person, okay? And I can, I can head down a road and I can even convince people this is the right way. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not following Jesus down that road, I'm gonna lead people astray. So. That's where I've, I've started to look even personally is each day I try to recalibrate my life around the person of Jesus and to, to continue to look at the scriptures and who he was and to try to model who he was, try to follow who he is. You're only as good of leader as you are a great follower of Jesus. So you can know after you've looked at the life of Jesus, whether someone's being led by Jesus. What are some specific exercises besides just reading the Bible that help you recalibrate yeah. your your oneness with Jesus? Yeah, so in the morning, I'll wake up fairly early and I'll get some time where I try to clear away all the distractions, all the screens. And number one, ask some questions like, what's real about my heart right mm. now? What's real? What, what am I worrying about? And how do I operate right now more out of sight than faith? Okay. Uh, And I have a time of confession then and just confess my heart, confess selfishness, confess a lack of forgiveness. And then, um, and then I I just kind of work through a prayer time of listening to God and 
praying to God, trusting him, yielding to him, turning over areas. And I don't always get an answer. Like a, I, I definitely have never gotten a verbal answer, but I've got, I've, I've at least had an angle of, as I've read God's word, I've seen, seen values that help me make a better decision and turn over more of my life to him. But I think that's a daily process. I yeah, think we tend to be great. more like a battery. We go through life, and if we don't have that charging time, we can go for a little bit, but then we kind of uh, wane yeah. and kind of get get weak. That's and, funny. That's like an expression in Thai language. Is um, they it translates to "my battery is low. I need to recharge." <laughs> really? What's that? What is the word? I forget. You forget I, the word. Okay. I couldn't speak it so well, but like, yeah, yeah, they would say that to one another. I think that's like pretty pretty accurate way of yeah. explaining yourself. That's right. That's right. That's cool. What are, besides that daily habit, which is amazing also, like, mm -hmm. I think that that's really important for people to have that quiet space with themselves before yeah. um, you start. Yeah, you got. I think you got to center yourself and, and get yourself in the best position before you can just go and use all your energy on everything else. Sure, sure. Um, but besides that, when do you feel like you, uh, really close contact with God? Or um, do you have any profound experiences that, that really drew you in in a way that you could never look back from? Yeah. You know, we've had one recently here um, when we got done with this discipleship program called Rooted. Mm -hmm. And we had people stand up and say, I believe, who had never done that publicly before. And we had 161 baptisms in an evening. And that's where I started realizing, my goodness, I am a part of something far greater than just myself. And God kind of put me into perspective that I'm a leader here, but I'm not the person here. It's Christ who's the person here. And so it's kind of this thing where you realize he is so much greater than I am. And I just want to I just want to serve him well. I want to humble myself. And I want to love people and um, connect people to their God-given purpose also. So Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, going back to the the impact you've had at leading a spiritual movement in Topeka. Yeah. How has that taken how has that taken form? What are, what have you noticed? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We moved here um, 15 years ago and the church was 100 people. You moved with who? My my wife Cheryl and three boys, James, Jack and Nathan. Cool. And they were all really little kids at that time. Um James was your brother Bryce's age, so he's 23 now. Jack's 21 now and Nathan 17, but Nathan was 18 months when we moved here. Um, and it's interesting, we just started to invite our friends, invite people that are around us. And it's interesting how when we just kind of came up with this concept of that there's two people in your life who aren't connected to God, and they're wondering if there is a God or they believe a God that there's a God, but they just don't, they've never asked a deeper question beyond, I tend to believe there is a God. Okay. That he can be known, that he can be personal, that he could uh, guide your life on a daily basis. I, th I think a lot of people live without any confidence or knowledge that there is. Right. And so we just ask people to think about two people in their lives who didn't know God, who were far from him, who felt lost. And we asked them, invite them. We wanted to be a church that's that's easy to invite people 
So people who are asking questions, people even who are cynical or skeptical about faith. And we wanted this to be a safe place for people to ask questions, not for people to come and just trash, but people to come and actually learn. And we wanted to be unapologetically Christian which meant we had to be based in the scriptures and we had to be about Jesus because a Christian is a Christ follower. <laughs> so it's not just a lingo or a, or a tagline. It's really, it's, it's a, a faith in the person and the work of Jesus. What do you say is the denomination? People ask that question to me. There's no street. denomination right. here, but other denominations are, you know, there's, there's Lutheran, there's Baptist, there's, you know, Presbyterian, we have people from all different backgrounds, but we're not a denomination. And what does that mean? You don't practice certain traditions or? Yeah, I, I think what we do is we call it, we, we talk about the shouts of scripture, that as you read the Bible, these are things you're going to see over and over and over and over again in, in the scriptures. They aren't going to be the whispers of scripture. So our, our motto here is we shout the shouts of scripture. And we whisper the whisper of mm. scripture because there's some things, even though all truth is God's truth, all truth is not as important as other truths. And where a church can get off is when they, when they focus on a whisper and they go, I'm a Christian and I'm this kind of Christian. And they spend more time defining what that kind of Christian is than what a Christian is. So it's kind of like a brand. You can spend more time talking about, well, it's this brand and this brand or this brand and why, you know, but it's, it's a church and we're going to be a church focused on the shouts of scripture. Yeah. Kind of rise above those more petty arguments. Yeah. Yeah. It's some of those arguments are meaningful and significant, but we're not going to uh, and we definitely have a preference and a conviction on some of those beliefs, but we don't necessarily like a central office we've got to report to. We don't like uh, a company line we've got to follow. Um, so for us, that's kind of our, our perspective. Yeah. So talking about some of those issues, what are some of those, those issues or contingents that different churches may diverge from one another on that you don't necessarily take a stance on? Yeah. So you'll get different preferences on communion. That's something we practice once a month. We call everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ, who believes Jesus is who he said he is and mm -hmm. did what he said he did, um, to practice that. But you'll go to another church and go, no, you have to be in our denomination to take, it's called like closed communion. Yeah, the Catholic church. Yes. I, I don't, I, the few times I've been, I can't be the person doing that. That's right. So we're more open with that. Um, there's some who think, boy, if you came to Christ and you got baptized, but you didn't get baptized by our church, you got to get rebaptized. We wouldn't say that. We would say once you believed and got baptized, we take that, we accept that. Because right. they did it. They followed uh, the example of Christ in getting baptized. Right. End so, times. We have a preference on end times. Like um, there's different views on when, you know, what the second coming of Christ will look like. Some people believe it'll happen all in one fell swoop. Others um, say there'll be a rapture, 
a seven year tribulation, you know, and all this kind of stuff as they look at the look at the scriptures and interpret it. We're going to have an opinion on it, but we're not going to say you've got to believe this to be a part of the church. Right. So, right. so what's your opinion on the end times? Jesus will return. <laughs> I, I believe that. And he'll return at any time. So I don't think anything is limiting him right now from returning. Right. So will we're to live. Recognized? Uh, I think when he comes, there will be no doubt he came. The world will drastically change when that happens. And if you believe in a rapture, you know, where he comes and then there's a seven year tribulation, even that rapture is going to be a major awakening to the world. It's not going to be something people will miss. What is a rapture? A rapture is the belief that when Christ um, comes back, uh, all the believers will be raptured with him in the air and taken to heaven. And all non-believers will stay here on earth, okay, and have a seven-year tribulation, yeah. okay? There's a lot more complex things to that, but that's literally what the rapture means. Yeah. So, okay. and I'm kind of like one of those things where if it's a rapture, I, okay. But if it's not, and he just comes and judges the world and restores all things in one swoop, mm -hmm. I'm okay with that also. Right. So. Yeah, how do you... I, mean, I find myself in, in a lot of spaces where I am a minority to be a Christian. Yeah. And I think I naturally tend to kind of become more insular about expressing my faith. I tend to use more, even with my podcast, more open-minded sort of terms. Like uh, it's cool how the universe works out or the world really like has it in the cards for us today. I don't use the word God so freely around people just out of uh, some feeling I have to, to be inclusive or something. Yeah. How do you, how do you relate when you're in an environment where there's different faith-based systems all around you? Do yeah. You... Well, I always want to learn about different faith, uh, faiths. Right. And so I ask a lot of questions, not from a skeptic angle, but just to understand. I want to understand what's the basis of each, each faith. Right. And I think when you can approach that while also holding true to you being a person of faith, I think you just have to search for the the respectful, sensitive language that still communicates what you believe, while at the same time um, being open to hearing what others believe. Right. Do you think that there's any chance that both of you can be right? Um, so if you look at the claims of Jesus, again, let's go back to Jesus, because that's where I had to start when I came to my faith. Um, Jesus said very inclusive statements like whoever believes in me will be saved and who um whoever um believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life those are very inclusive especially like one of the most well-known verses of the bible john three sixteen: for god so loved the world okay i mean this is it's a big god loving a big big world so you see the arms of god wide open to whoever believes it's kind of an inclusive statement with an exclusive object. Okay, so it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has a relationship with God except through me. So that's pretty, I mean, the, the early church grabbed that in an Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, the book after Jesus rose from the dead. Right. In Acts 4, 12, Peter is saying, 
there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved is Christ. Okay. So that's a very exclusive claim. So you don't see many ways to God through the scriptures. Okay. Now you can choose not to believe the Bible as God's word. And many people don't. But if you're going to say, no, this really is God's word, then you've got to at least understand what it says and not what it just whispers, but what it actually says over and over and over that Jesus truly is the son of God. He's the savior of the world and that life is in his name. Mm -hmm. And so I had to come to the point where I realized I'll be respectful of all perspectives and I'll be gentle and I'll treat kindly everyone. But I also have a strong conviction about how people are saved and how I'm saved. Right. Now, do, do that can be... Do you feel any be, sense of guilt by not, by not bringing them into your faith-based system? No, because it's not me. It's I'm not the one who does the saving. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's a work of God. I've always seen that as a work of God. I mean, the type of people who've come to Christ that I've known are people who I never would think would would. You know, they weren't, they were the hard-nosed atheists or they were the very, very cynical um, skeptics or, or agnostics. And I don't know what happened, but I, I think God changed their hearts and they came to faith and they trust, trusted in it. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in two very devout societies of different faiths. I lived in Morocco for five months. Wow. And Islam. Very, yeah, it was mm -hmm. very strong, very present there. My host family was praying five times a day. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was very palpable and mm -hmm. much more so than Topeka. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's very, yeah, it's probably more like Israel is or something. Um, what What would you say to someone that's that's living in their life like that, that is... You know, has a deep belief that their faith-based system and Buddhism in Thailand as well, that their yes. faith-based system is the way, the truth, and the light for them. How do you, yeah. how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that's one of the great questions. It's one of the great questions of faith is how, what audacity does one faith have to say that they are better or that they're more believable? Right. Okay. And I think, I think what you have to have to come to is not all of them can be right because they say contradictory things toward each other, okay? There's, there's a segment of Islam that is very intolerant of other beliefs that, that will not accept any other, you know, perspective. But there's also an angle to Islam in which, um, if you compare it with the American culture and what um, the American culture is under the guise of a Christian country, it's very different than what a Christ follower is. And so was it when a Muslim, like I went to Morocco also, and it was fascinating to talk to. I, those were the first Muslims I met were, were in Morocco. And they thought that every girl in the United States was a girl like they saw on MTV. Okay. Yeah. So the, what we exported was media and entertainment. They thought every woman uh, acted like Britney Spears on the they stage. They see that as very sinful, I think. Yes. Yeah. And so a woman's degraded. She's objectified. She looks... So why would we ever treat women like that? And you're a Christian country. 
Okay. And by the way, the Christian country is the Catholic church because that's how they view Christians. Mm -hmm. So you have the history of the crusades. You have a very anti-Muslim agenda over the years. So that's what they have to operate on is history and the blunders of Christianity. And I'm not, I'm not Catholic. So I don't, I wouldn't call myself that type of Christian. Mm -hmm. So it, it has to come down to a redefinition of what truly is a Christ follower. That's why I think the scriptures are so important, not tradition, but the scriptures on who Christ is and what it looks like to follow him. Right. How can you use the scriptures to find a peaceful solution for say the Middle East or Israel versus Palestine? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how we can work to coexist or? Yeah. So, um, so we're called in the scriptures to give a defense um, for the hope that lies within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I think those two things, gentleness and respect, just because someone believes something doesn't make them an enemy. Mm -hmm. So you treat them with gentleness, right? And respect. I think everyone is crafted and created in the image of God. Everyone has priceless value. So how we treat, I, I guess that to me is the representation of a solid faith is how we treat people who disagree with us. Yeah. That's really what a mature person is, is someone who loves easily, who learns easily, who forgives easily. So those are some of the values I think we're to treat each other with the very love with which God loved us. Right. So for me, as I looked at the major religions of the world, when I went through that time of searching, I was never satisfied with just being more righteous or being nicer or better or trying to be good or to do one more thing that would earn me one more step closer to God. I wouldn't, I never had when I was in that, that cycle, it was very difficult for me to have any confidence in my faith because it was based on my performance right, or lack thereof. And biblical Christianity is sets itself very different from all the major religious systems of the world in that it talks about God coming to you, not you working your way to God. And God who cleared through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly and died finally on the cross for your sins. He paid, he took the wrath of God. He took the payment for my sin on the cross. And then he rose again and defeated death and the power of sin in my life. And so everything I needed to be restored back to God was provided by Christ. Now that doesn't make me passive with my faith. It just realizes I'm not the solution. I don't have to work harder. I can rest in the completed work of Christ. And for me, that truly gave me a sense of peace with God. It gave me a sense of gratefulness and thankfulness. It gave me, a, um, I do, it gave me an appreciation for his work. And it really called me into what I'm doing now. Right. Why wouldn't I want to share what God has given me? So you, you do seek to evangelize, but do so in a respectful manner? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I do. Cool. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. 
But you know what? Evangelism or conversion or proselytizing, those are words that are looked on in a poor way mm-hmm. by our culture. Um, and I would say the American culture is most against it. Definitely. But I, I've been to India, and in India, they don't want American Christians over there trying to convert people because they believe it desecrates their culture. And, and in a sense, biblical Christianity will change the culture. It'll change the culture of India because if it's Hinduism and you have four gods that your family has always worshipped and has their images on your mantle or in your home, and they've been passed on from generation to generation, and you take those four gods away to put one god, okay, which it's a monotheistic uh, religion is Christianity. It's Mm -hmm. one god, three persons, but one god. Um, When you do that, yes, you're going to change that culture a little bit. Yeah. How are we to understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Great. (laughs) I don't know, apart from the scriptures tend to talk that God is or or share openly in key areas that um, we're to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus uh, talked about I and the Father are one. Uh, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, when I rise, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to live within you, which is God's presence within you. And so you have this, this picture, just as theology developed after Christ rose from the dead, um, the, the early church started understanding and trying to understand this whole picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you see it Old Testament and New Testament of the Spirit of God, the Son in the New Testament, and then the father. Mm-hmm. And so um, the triune God of three separate persons, yet three equal and one God. Right. So each one of them have different functions, but they aren't, you know, the, the father is not the son and the son is not the spirit. Right. What are a couple of resources or books um, outside of the Bible you would recommend to someone uh, examining the faith maybe as you were sure. in your early 20s. Yeah. I'll tell you, a book that's out now that I didn't have was a book by Timothy Keller called The Reason for God. And what he he brings out there is it's easy to be skeptical about religion in general, especially since you see the abuses of different religions, including Christianity all around the world, and especially the the state of Christianity in the U.S., especially when Christians got more involved in politics and you had failures in that. Um, so as, as you look at that, it's easy to be skeptical, but there's for every view you hold, there's a skeptical angle to every view you hold. Right. You can sh- say, I'm just not going to be, uh, I don't think that religion has any value. Well, that statement, you should hold it to the same scrutiny that you just made against Christianity by that statement. You just need to be fair with your beliefs as you would attack or criticize or um, dialogue with the other faith. Yeah. So if you're going to try to knock or try to knock down biblical Christianity, you also have to be willing to take some questions yourself and answer some of those 
And what you'll find in what he puts forth in that book is if you are as skeptical with your beliefs as you hold other beliefs to it, you'll find that you don't all, that each belief you have, even though it's not in God, requires an amount of faith. Definitely. So that was a really good book. It helped me kind of gave my mind space to think and to reason with God. Yeah, that just makes me think like the lack of taking a stance is taking a stance. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Huh, that's cool. So I, I can, I mean, if someone just doesn't want to think about it, that's fine. If they don't want to think about faith and they want to operate without any thought of God, okay, that's kind of just the passive way of doing life. Mm -hmm. But there is no way you can take all influences away from you. There's no way you can clear God out of the picture and not have some sense of morality or some guiding force. How do you, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know several passive people of the faith that have a strong mm -hmm. sense of morality. Do you think, where does that come from? Exactly. Where does that come from? Usually it comes from a self-morality. Like, uh, I just think everyone needs to be kind. Why? Why does everyone need to be kind? Because kindness treats people with respect. Kindness doesn't hate. Kindness, I mean, you can go through all those values of what kindness, but where do we get kindness from? And who says we have to be kind? And is that an authority? Is kindness always the way? Right. So, I mean, the the absolutes we can make, I mean, I know it's it's common to say there's no absolutes except to say that there's absolutes. <laughs> you know, you can you can get into that circular reasoning. But but overall, I, I think there, there's got to be roots to the morality that you profess. And and I would say that much of uh, I think biblical Christianity has, has had a profound effect on culture. Yeah. I mean, our whole legal system had an influence of, uh, I mean, the Bible has been tremendously influential on that, on giving people worth on innocent until found guilty. I mean, there, there are going to be abuses of that, but I mean, I haven't seen tons of other countries with that code. Mm -hmm. um, of which the U.S. hasn't influenced through human rights. Right. So, so you, how do you feel about religion and, and politics? Do you think that they should coexist or should they be seen as separate? I have no problem with the separation of church and state. Why is I, that? Because um, where you get power and position without humility, you're going to get abuses. And certainly there's, um, there's a longing for humility and love and patience and kindness through your leaders. Mm -hmm. But I've just seen that political spectrum be a significant challenge when you bring the church into it, when yeah. the church is trying to legislate. I think that's a challenge. But then don't we fall back into supporting the whole MTV Britney Spears thing that Moroccans are seeing us as? Well, here's the thing. At, on any given weekend, there's a good amount of Democrats and Republicans in this church. We are not a exclusively Republican or Democratic church. Okay. So I don't want to make the message appeal to one 
or the other. I wanted to talk about Christ and call everyone to follow him. And whatever role they fill, and, and we encourage people to run for office. We encourage people to be doctors and lawyers and teachers and garbage men and, or women and, and do whatever role they have, but to represent Christ in that role. We're rather than here's our agenda and we need to legislate that agenda. Right. Now we do believe that since we live in a democracy that we should have the right to speak into that democracy. So what kind of criteria do, do you put into who you vote for? Um, wow, lots. Um, but I don't get up in front and tell people who to vote for. I, I tell people to go and vote and exercise the right that they have in this country that they may not in other countries to, yeah. to express that. But I mean, sometimes it's so mired. It's so mired. Right. And it's not just one group. Like I, I probably would disagree very, very strongly with the Democrat view on abortion. Okay. As a party, they've been primarily a pro choice group. And I believe that life has significance and meaning and value. Uh, I believe in the preborn having, having life and value. Does and the meaning. Bible say that before they're born, they are alive? Yeah. In, in Psalm 139, it said, uh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So there's knowledge of you before you're born by God. And there's value in a person. So even though it's an inconvenient choice, okay, and it's an in inconvenience of, of being pregnant. But here's the deal. It's not just the preborn that's valued. It's all of life. So you could take the Republican view of the lack of programs and defunding the you know, initiatives for the poor and the needy and the under-resourced. And you could, you could appeal with the same thing. Look, we are not treating people with significance and worth and value. Mm -hmm. Okay? The poor are what the scriptures call us to, and Jesus called us to serve and to give to and to meet needs and to engage, not to, to ignore or to walk away from. So I would say that when I preach, it's not going to be from a Democrat or Republican perspective. It's going to be from a biblical perspective, which as I've seen on that one issue of life covers it all. It covers pre-born, newly born, the poor, the abused, the, the exploited, mm -hmm. those who have injustices in their lives, as it does those who are just about to die and, and people want to pull, pull the plug on, <laughs> okay? Yeah. All of life has value. I think it's, it's kind of the whole life picture. Right. So, so why does God create a fetus that dies before it's born or, or create people that have severe handicaps or um, put people in? traumatic situation after traumatic situation while someone else is living, you know, a very comfortable lifestyle. How do you, how do yeah, you understand I, that? So That's a, as I travel to India and I walk through the slums, I ask that very same question. It's very yeah. difficult to see, especially when you walk through and, you know, there's, it, it's basically a, um, a latrine you're walking through and the amount of uh, waste, human waste that's in those environments. You wonder how can people live oh, in yeah. this? I was on the train and, in, in, in India too. I can smell, you just yes. smell this stuff. Yeah. So I think, I don't know that I have the answer of why. Okay. 
but I know, I know that um, my blessing of being in the United States, if it blinds me from the greatness of God, is not a blessing. If I'm distracted by the American culture so that I don't see God and I don't. I really like that. So, yeah. so I have seen and I have worshipped with Indian Christians in um, Chennai, India, in the slum. And, um, and I have seen them be humble and to have joy and to have peace. Um, but for why does a, why does a child die in the womb? Why does, um, why does a child get born and five days later it has, you know, infant death syndrome? Um, I don't know those answers, but I do know God works through all that. And I've seen God work in all that. I've walked with people. Uh, we're a fairly young church. We have average age of 28 here. So we have a child who dies every year, at least. And so we walk through families on that. And if you go and deal with that uh, from a perspective of there's no purpose in pain and all suffering is pointless. In other words, God cannot use it. It's... Um, it's the crux of faith. And if I go through a bad day, if, I have, if I'm depressed, if I have cancer, God will never be revealed through that. He'll, no, you have God engaging the brokenness of life. You have light shining in darkness. You have God uh, in the person of Jesus who was not wealthy, but poor, who did not go to the major cities, but was off in the, in the ghettos of, of small town, you know, Palestine at that time with a Roman you know, superpower that he wasn't leading him. And he was, he was willing to humble himself in those environments and use it to show the greater glory of God Then I think he can work through anything. So although I don't have that answer, I think it can be fairly, fairly arrogant to say there is no point in pain. That'd be like saying, Tanner, you can't, you know, if you, if you took look at a child and go, that child shouldn't ever get kicked off a basketball team. They should never lose a job. They should only get raises. They should never have a want. And, and that is what a successful life is. That is what a good life is. You will find that those who only have good news, who are sheltered from pain and suffering, are only more obsessed with themselves and more vain mm -hmm. in life. So what verse or story or parable do you come back to when you experience setbacks or failures in your life or moments yeah. where you have to, where you're very humbled before God, I guess would be a positive way of putting it. But. Yeah. So that, that passage by Paul in second Corinthians, um, there's another one in Philippians of um, that power is made perfect in weakness. And so I'll boast more about my weakness so that God's power can be made perfect in me. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about how the, sec, uh, the church in Corinth wanted a better speaker. They wanted someone who was um, showed more of the Greek culture, um, you know, really stout. <laughs> and here he was a weak guy. And yet he realized if I can boast about anything, I'm going to boast about my weakness so that God's power could be made perfect in me. And I think that's where I've got to always realize that even a larger church with a really nice building 
and a good budget is doesn't make a great church. It's, right. it's ultimately, how does this church humble themselves before God and love people around them? I mean, that, that at the end of the day, James says religion that, you know, really is worth it all, looks after the widow and, and the orphan and helps people in their need. It, it's not about just having all these flashy programs and right. cameras and lights and all that kind of stuff. So on the flip side, how do you avoid just saying yes to everything and running yourself thin? <laughs> I've had a time where I've come to the end of myself and almost had a nervous breakdown. And I think God used that time where I was very weak emotionally to get some help and to realize that I'm not the one who saves people. I'm not the one who heals people, but I'm someone who can be used for some people, but I've got to trust that other people in our church will step up and reach, reach people around them. Yeah. That's huge realization. Yeah. So my final question is, um, what do you think it takes to get into heaven? And what do you, what do you envision heaven to be like? Okay. What's a compelling picture of heaven that you... In 30 seconds or less, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Jesus says real, real openly that um, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the question comes into what do we have to believe? Because those who believe receive eternal life. It's not something you earn or you work for. Um, it's something that you trust in his work for you. And so in order to be saved, to go to heaven, but even, even, you know, the larger picture of that in order to be a part of God's family, we have to be related to Jesus and we have to trust what he did in living for you, dying for you and rising from the dead for you was for you. And so it just comes down to a simple moment of faith. Do I believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again for me? And will I turn from my way of working harder, of trying to be good, of trying, and, and move to trusting him? And then as I do that, it's not that the Christian life is just going to be, you know, sunshine, and rainbows, and unicorns. <laughs> Uh, it's that the Christian life is going to be a life that um, is going to have sometimes even worse than you had before Christ. But you're going to do this in faith and trusting in him. You're going to do this with purpose, knowing that he wastes nothing. That there's a point and there's a purpose. You may not know that, but you're willing to trust God when you don't understand everything that's happening to you. And you're willing to love him and love the people around you. So that's what it takes. It It's not working. It's not going to church. It's not giving in the offering. It's in trusting in the completed work of Christ for you. But that involves you turning from sin and following Christ. What was your second question? What is heaven like? What is heaven like? Well, we're given a few glimpses, one in Isaiah and the other in Revelation. And what I see heaven like, I used to be really bored when I thought about what heaven was like, because I, you had all these earthly pictures of what heaven is. But what ultimately 
the scriptures give is that it is an unending place of joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment. Um, all of our relationships, um, our desire to be loved, to be fully known and loved, to take adventures and to discover and to be creative, to fully live unhindered by self and um, wanting to get things at the expense of others, wanting to be higher in com the competitive nature, um, uh, that will be taken away and will be f set free to love God and love, uh, love each other for eternity. I don't think that's going to be boring. Oh. So I think it's going to be far greater than anything here on earth. Cool. So in a hundred years, let's talk about this same question. Yeah. Okay. See you in heaven. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you, Tanner. You too. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming... Hello, it's Tanner Badgley, your People of Purpose podcast host. I'm here to say thank you for an amazing 2017. We launched a podcast, we've had 10 guests, we've had several people reach out and become a strong part of this community, and I love it all. Thank you very much. So as we turn the corner to 2018, I have some goals and some visions in mind, and I'm really excited to see where this project goes and what God has in store for this year what opportunities will come. Basically, the thing that's, that I'm here to, today to ask you about is a favor. I don't think my greatest skill is in podcast editing. I spend about 10 to 15 hours per week creating the whole episode from start to finish, and about 60 to 70% of that time is spent editing out all the ums, buts, likes, you knows, and awkward pauses. I think that it's time to find the right man for this job. I have this person in mind, and I, I'm here to ask for your contribution to help us to hire an editor.
I think that with this free time, I'm going to be able to have more time to focus on my purpose, to focus on you, to focus on others. And I'm happy to continue working for free. I, like I said, I spend 10 to 15 hours a week. I'm happy to continue investing my time and energy in this project because it means so much to me. And I see how much it means to you. But if you trust this project to encourage people, to help other people, to find and grow in your purpose, if you enjoy following the journeys of others, listening to their stories, tuning in, understanding more about your purpose as you listen to this, create daily conversations, habits, actionable steps, all the resources we've mentioned. If you followed any of this, you might recognize that this is a really great thing that's going on. I feel it too. We're really building up into something that it hasn't become yet. So if you trust this project, I'm here to ask you to contribute to the project. Together, if we each gave about $2 a month, everyone that's listening right now, we would be able to hire a full-time editor. I have a trusted friend who I, I know, I like, and I've seen his work. And I would like to hire him. I know that this is his passion, his purpose, and I want to contribute to that. So I'm here today to reach out to my community, all of you people that have purpose that, that I, I dedicate this, this energy to. And I hope that, that you can contribute to this project and make it the, the greatest it's ever been. So if you trust this project, the direction we're going in, and trust me, this is the right decision for us. So please help us help each other. And let's grow this community into something that hasn't become by contributing to people of purpose. I've created a Patreon account where you can link any amount of money you want to send. And if you send over $100, there's going to be some special prizes for you. So be sure to leave your address and I will ship you some People of Purpose gear. Thank you very much. I'm excited for a great 2018 with you. Here's to being People of Purpose.